And he goes, oh, you're an attorney? We exist within this history of gender at work in the United States. There really was a time males were attorneys and lawyers and females were staff. I was consistently asked if I was a secretary, consistently. And I think it was because they just hadn't had regular experience with women of color being attorneys. There's a lot of sweeties, honeys, and you're thinking, well, we are here in a mediation and you can call me counselor. Thank you. I'm Kimber Russell. Welcome to LST's miniseries about women in the law. Over the next six weeks, we'll discuss how women are portrayed in popular culture, the profession's leaky pipeline, and more. This week, we take a look at sexism. Even in the 21st century, it's around us in some obvious and some not-so-obvious ways. I remember specifically sitting in a conference room and him saying, sweetheart, can you go get us some coffee? And there were other lawyers in there. And I almost felt like if I left the room to get everybody coffee... Was I going to miss something? Were they going to make deals without me? So it made me feel very uncomfortable. And I just said, I don't know how to make coffee. And I sat there and I just just ignored the request. And I'm sure I came off so incredibly rude. My name is Catherine Cockrell, and I am an estate planning and probate attorney in Charleston, South Carolina. Catherine's story highlights the tough position sexism places women in. Saying no to a politely asked even if not actually polite request, breaks the norms of polite society. Either you capitulate and miss out, or you are rude. Although these stories can and do happen everywhere, there does seem to be more of it in the South. It's got to be 400 times worse. I grew up in New Jersey, in northern New Jersey. I'm one of four girls, so my dad just raised us to be really strong women, and I had great role models. All of my, my grandmas were very educated. Upon graduating law school, I moved to Charleston, South Carolina for my now husband. It's a, it's a hard thing to come in from the North and get yourself into such a tight-knit, good old boys system. There's a lot of sweeties, honeys, and you're thinking, well, we are here in a mediation and you can call me counselor. Thank you. Catherine's former boss was a member of the local yacht club in Charleston, a real-world example of an old boys club. And I know he always went to the yacht club for lunch, and he told me that they all sit at the back bar and that women were not allowed at the back bar. Um, And I know a lot of lawyers, a lot of the male attorneys will gather there. I don't like to associate with people who don't think that I'm just as capable as a man. The thing that I really like about the area of law that I practice in is that the probate judge in Charleston is Judge Irv Condon, and he has two associates, and it's Judge Tamara Curry and Judge Lena Kirshner. Seeing these women that are on the bench that I truly respect as attorneys and as judges I I find that it's a little bit easier to go to court and to be taken seriously sometimes as a a younger woman in the South. Like many women, Catherine has resigned herself to the fact that some people just won't change. I've had a few instances where I was very taken back, but since I've been down here, 
for approximately seven years now, I find that you just have to chalk it up to this is the system, this is how they were raised, and some people do not believe that women are on the same level, and it is what it is. Virginia Hopman is an appellate litigator in Northern Virginia. She's at a boutique firm now, but previously was partner at a big law firm. The firm I worked at was a Southern footprint firm. To me, the sort of opening of doors and the genteel language is much less of a problem. Women litigators have a particularly hard time because your client is often going to want to feel like you're going to be the boxer in the ring for them. So they want you to be very aggressive. But a lot of times when a woman has that kind of behavior, there are negative connotations that come with it. Virginia is talking about the kind of sexism that's not so obvious. It is a lot more insidious. And and that's true of any kind of bias. We spoke to Dr. Elizabeth Dickinson about the effects of the more subtle variations of sexism. My name is Dr. Elizabeth Dickinson. I'm a clinical assistant professor of communication in the Keenan Flagler Business School at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. One of the effects is that it can create this thing called imposter syndrome. You're constantly doubting with a lot of emotional and psychological effort. The effects of implicit bias on the individual target starts with their body. We're trying to think in the moment how to respond to it. Do I attend now in this situation? Do I wait and think about it because I don't want to overreact? But then what happens if I underreact? Men and women experience these physiological effects the same way. Likewise, she says, everyone is biased. We have these very ingrained belief systems, schemas, patterns that guide how we interact with individuals in the world. And these, at an implicit level, are things that we don't even know that we do. People tell me this all the time. I don't have implicit bias. And I mean, it's really difficult for us to acknowledge that we as human beings are flawed and that we have these, yet the person who's the recipient can see it very clearly. So it becomes very much this perceptual disconnect. After the break, we'll hear from lawyers around the country about the practical impact of sexism. But first, Law School Transparency wants to give a special thank you to Wake Forest University. The Law School, Business School, Provost, Pro Humanitate Institute, AJC Center, and Women's Center hosted a roundtable about sexism that you can listen to however you're listening right now. You can also visit lstradio.com to read transcripts, guest bios, and get a sneak peek of what's to come. Hello, I'm Suzanne Reynolds, Dean of Wake Forest Law School. At Wake Forest, we educate the whole person for a professional lifetime. Our commitment to create citizen lawyers is reflected in our graduates who seek purpose-filled lives in the spirit of our motto, Pro Humanitate. Through dozens of interviews for this series, the most common problem is mistaken job titles. I cannot tell you how many times I show up for a hearing and I'm asked by opposing counsel or potentially the deputy whether I'm the court reporter. That's Valerie Barnhart. She's a partner at Kelly Cronenberg. She also co-chaired the Florida Bar's Young Lawyers Division's Commission on Women in the Profession. The commission released a report in 2015 based on a survey of nearly 500 young lawyers. We really wanted to take the temperature of female attorneys in the state of Florida. Let's first find out from the constituents and the attorneys that we serve what problems they're facing, 
what help they need, what can we address that's focused on the gender issue. This report confirmed many people's lived experiences. In addition to many discouraging findings about work-life balance, leadership and advancement opportunities, and diminutives, respondents frequently reported being mistaken for court reporters, paralegals, translators, and assistants. The overall consensus was that it was not surprising, that it shouldn't be, but it really didn't come as a shock to anybody. On the surface, mistaken job titles knock you on the head much in the same way that sweeties do, but lurking underneath are systemic challenges. Here again is Elizabeth Dickinson, the UNC professor who studies gender and the workplace. We exist within this history of gender at work in the United States. There really was a time males were attorneys and lawyers and females were staff. But that doesn't make it any less frustrating for women today. Hi, my name is Sarah Schnautz and I do civil insurance defense. I had gone to court just to get a a simple routine motion filed. And, you know, we had waited and waited and waited. There was a bunch of us waiting for the clerk to appear that day. I was in the elevator about an hour later with one other gentleman who was also waiting with me. And I made a simple comment of, man, I like I didn't dress in a full suit today. And we ended up being in front of the judge. And I, you know, I feel, you know, kind of embarrassed about that. And he goes, oh, you're an attorney? Your first instinct may be that he just wasn't paying attention during her motion. In most scenarios, a credible-sounding argument can be made that there's nothing to it. But when you look at the aggregate examples from women, the accumulation simply can't be ignored. At the core, mistaken job titles are about expectations and what many members of society envision when they hear lawyer. Race of Argus is a defense attorney in South Florida. She experienced this from plaintiffs, opposing counsel, bailiffs, and court reporters. They still believe that who's going to walk into the door is going to be a male attorney. And they'll immediately tell me, oh, I have, and they may not notice that they're doing it, but they'll say, oh, well, I have this man, you know, they'll say his name and they'll say, I have a, like a guy that does this or whatever. So I don't know if they're purposely saying that they have like a male that does that kind of job for them. Um, but I have noticed that that's something that always gets brought up. I've never had anybody tell me, oh, I have a woman attorney. Lindsay Seaskin feels the same way about the prejudgment of women attorneys. There seems to be, in a sense, this preconception that men are at the top of their game and completely know what they're doing and can handle everything. I I think in any job, there's an element of having to prove yourself, having to prove your worth, having to prove that you are completely capable of doing the work that's being asked of you. You know, in a variety of experiences, you know, variety of jobs that I've had, I think that, yes, sometimes there have been men that other attorneys assume can absolutely do the job, and you almost have to not be pushy, but be a bit more assertive about the fact that, hold on a second, I can actually do this. Let me do this, and I will prove to you that I absolutely can. But the fact that I have to prove it and it's assumed for somebody else, I guess, raises some questions. Consistently, the younger women attorneys we interviewed had trouble distinguishing between age and gender-based bias. Litigator Sarah Schnauz has experienced this over and over again. I think the biggest thing that I face is I am still relatively, you know, pretty young. And I think that I don't get as much respect as people should give me and I deserve only because I'm young and I'm a woman and, you know, I have a 
pretty big baby face. And I know I sound like I'm five years old. You show up and you're relatively young and you're female and other attorneys there, oftentimes older men, make an assumption that, oh, you must be the court reporter. You can't possibly be the attorney. Uh, no, I am the attorney and I'm here for the deposition. I don't know whether it's because I'm female or because I'm young or because they just don't know who they're talking about. Women of color have similar challenges. Kimberly Baker-Gilmet works for the Los Angeles mayor's office. I think that as a woman of color, you're always in this position where you question your treatment and you're trying to determine, is this person racist or is this person sexist? Or is this person just a jerk? It can be really hard to tell. Take this story from Kimberly. When I was at the attorney general's office, there was a woman who was new. So I saw her at the copy machine one day. She'd probably been there about three days. And I introduced myself and said, hi, I'm Kimberly. Good to meet you. And she looked at me, put her head down and said in a condescending tone, who are you? What are you, a secretary? And I laughed and I said, no, not at all. I'm actually a deputy attorney general. Just a few days later, Kimberly's boss called her into her office. She asked Kimberly to help the new hire with her writing. So I went to her office and I said, hi, I'm Kimberly. I'm actually here to help you with some of your filings and with writing. And I saw the look on her face. She was absolutely mortified because not only did she assume I was a secretary, but now this woman who she'd assumed was a secretary solely based on the color of her skin was now being brought in to help her. I was consistently asked if I was a secretary, consistently. And I think it was because they just hadn't had regular experience with women of color being attorneys. It's definitely not just men who were guilty of unfair or outdated assumptions about women. Elizabeth Dickinson cautions against that sort of thinking. We often insinuate that it's males are doing something that's this very sort of one-directional discrimination, and it's not. After all, men and women grow up in the same society with the same long-standing biases about women's roles. Rita Grigio, a government attorney in Chicago, told us how supervisors, male and female, have treated her like she needed protection. One of the things that I find kind of insulting is supervisors telling me that they see me like a daughter. That is something that has happened to me more than once. I find it a little bit, um, I find it insulting, actually. There's this idea that you're a child, you need protection. They're, they're going to help you because they have this parent kind of view of you. It has once before happened with a woman, you know, saying, oh, I think of you as a daughter. But more often it has happened with male supervisors. That's not the only way that women are diminished on a daily basis in the legal profession. Something little that I also find is, especially when I'm on a case with a lot of opposing counsel, people will they'll address to Mr. So-and-so and Mr. So-and-so and Mr. So-and-so and Sarah. And it's like, well, do I not deserve to be called Mishnouts? Time and again, it comes down to respect. Leah Gutierrez, a government attorney in Chicago, is among countless women in the profession who simply want to be treated as an equal. 
I don't feel that I get the respect that I deserve. I haven't really chosen to reflect on why and perhaps have made excuses for it like, oh, maybe it's because of a lack of experience. But as I sit here and reflect on it, that couldn't be because I do know men who are less experienced than I am. And quite frankly, who I am just as qualified as who do get that respect when they speak. It's tough to give specific advice on how or whether to address sexism. And it's complicated by our status as attorneys. We often have client obligations, an obligation to make our firms profitable, and a myriad of factors that limit the scope of appropriate responses. How egregious is the conduct? What effect is it having on people? What effect is it having on the organization? And, and depending on the answers to those questions, that'll determine whether or not it's something I feel like I need to address. But if I'm going to address it, I am going to back away first. I have my very small circle of people that I trust. I go and talk to them, bounce things off of them, make sure I'm not overreacting. Um, and then tailor the message really to what I think the person will hear. Maybe you're not going to change people's opinions, but um, you want to change the behavior. Whether through law or policy or gentle nudges, enforcing behavioral change can certainly lead to attitudinal changes over time. Leah's coworker Rita Grigio echoes this sentiment. You do have to pick your battles. I do tend to let a lot of things go. My personal view is that a lot of one-on-one -on -one interactions, you're not going to change that person's mind. That's the battle. you got to focus on the war, which is changing society. Thanks for tuning in. Stick around and listen to the roundtable discussion we held at Wake Forest University in North Carolina about the role sexism continues to play in our profession. I'm Kimber Russell. This episode was produced by Kyle McEntee. Music by Brad Kemp. Thank you to all our guests and to Olympia Duhart, Marissa Olson, Ashley Milne-Tite, Karen Ulrich-Stacy, and Susan Poser for your help. We also want to thank Diversity Lab for a generous donation very early in the project. Next week, we look at how women lawyers are portrayed on screen and by journalists. Women in the Law is a production of Law School Transparency. To learn more about LST, visit lawschooltransparency.com. To learn more about this miniseries, visit lstradio.com slash women.